He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and manager of cornnation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site of feistiness. Now that we're going to start this 2020 football season and begin with the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're not here to really talk about the Buckeyes much today. We are here to talk about Penn State football. In this episode, we welcome Dylan, Marty, and Ellie of Black Shoe Diaries, our SB Nation Penn State site. Last year, Penn State finished 11-2 with losses to Minnesota and Ohio State. They finished the season with a 53-39 win over Memphis in the Cotton Bowl and ranked number nine in the nation. But the key here is Ohio State. What are you guys going to do to get over the Ohio State hump and finally win the Big Ten East and win the Big Ten and then get into the college football playoff? That's where Penn State football is at this time, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good summary. Yeah, um, I think back in the spring, pre-COVID and everything that's unfolded, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, who thought this was finally going to be the year. You know, you get Ohio State at home and the whiteout. Michael Parsons is back. They returned like 17, 18 starters, and then just everything that's unfolded in the world in the last seven or eight months unfolded. So I, I think Penn State's talented enough to beat Ohio State if they catch a few breaks, but you take away that whiteout crowd and that just completely changes everything. It's just such a 12th man. So I, I think the talent's there to do it, but without the whiteout crowd this year, I do think it'll be tough. Yeah, I would have to – yeah, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I agree with uh, pretty much what Maury said there. And uh, I think if Penn State's going to take that jump, uh, it's going to come down to if Sean Clifford can uh, – uh, take a step forward in his game. He's a very good college quarterback, but if Penn State wants to reach the playoffs, they need him to become that elite uh, quarterback. Um, very rarely can a team get to the college football playoffs without an elite quarterback. So um, I think that's uh, major goal number one if Penn State wants to beat Ohio State and uh, maybe get to that playoff this year. So – I am known as the rainbows and sunshine guy in uh, uh, Black Shoe Diaries. So I, I mean, I'm also realistic, right? It's been tough. 2016 was great. 2017 was horrible. 2018 was no different. And those, those two years were years where Penn State basically had the game um, and basically the Big Ten um, in its pocket, and some th- somehow, some way, Ohio State managed to snatch um, the game away from Penn State. 2019 was the year where um, like it was Ohio State show. They had the greatest football team in the history of life, and no one could even come close, even though Clemson somehow did it with no problem. Um, but even then, right? Um, Ohio State had to fight for a victory against Penn State. So I've always believed that Penn State is right there. Um, And 
what they really need is that one bounce to go their way. And I think the one silver lining I see with all that's happened so far is that, yes, Micah Parsons is gone. That is terrible. Yes, Journey Brown might not play. We don't know yet. I'm hopeful that he will. Um, but Ohio State has to still go to State College. And they still have to sleep at a hotel that they're not used to. Now with some restrictions. And they still have to go through all of the same processes that they went through before. Sure, there are no fans. But most importantly, they have to do this without any film on Penn State. And in fairness, the Penn State has to do the same thing. But like having the game so early gives me hope that all of the talent that the Nittany Lions have been stacking for years, um, that all of this, um, I think I said this in one of our previews, that like all of the craziness that Penn State has had to deal with over the years, having the improbable losses to Ohio State, having the one random loss to some team that they have no business losing to, either right after Ohio State or right before Ohio State. Um, and, and just having all of, the, all of the things, you know, has been just a buildup for this year, which is the craziness of all craziness. And maybe this year is the year where craziness for everyone is just the norm for Penn State and they can finally get over that hump. But talent-wise, Ohio State is head and shoulders above everyone else. But Penn State is not so far down that they can't pull uh, 2019 LSU because Alabama is much more talented than LSU. LSU still was able to score them that one time. And that's all Penn State needs is that one time. So I'm getting the sense that there's some like, uh, you know, if you say the words Ohio State or Buckeyes around Penn State guys, that there's some angst there, some some uh, tension, some anger, some hatred. I, when I say Ohio State, I mean, what do you, you give me your feelings like we're in a counseling session, like you guys need mental help. One thing I will say with Ohio State is <clears throat> with my wife's blessing, I've already made it very clear to our two children that they can go to any college they want. They will not attend college in Columbus, Ohio. That is the one thing that would probably get them this, you know, thrown out of the family. So, other than that, they can go wherever they want, but they better not be Buckeyes when the time comes. Um, to be honest with you, I actually don't – like, there's, uh, there's a lot of talk about rivalries and blah, blah, blah with Ohio State. And uh, I, uh, I'm, I take the Urban Meyer approach. Let Ohio State and Michigan fall in love and have beautiful children. I, I'm pretty okay with looking down on Maryland and Rutgers for – However many years those programs are going to be disasters. Um, but I do, but there are feelings, right? Like Ohio State for the better part of 25 years has been the, the example of what it is to be a successful program in the Big Ten. They have by far the most championships in the Big Ten since Penn State has been a member. They have two national championships in that time span. And... Um, number that I can't even tell of uh, New Year's Six slash BCS uh, 
bowl games and wins. Um, so to deny that Ohio State is the, the target for any program, not just Penn State, to reach, it, it would be foolish. Um, but that said, of all the teams that have done it, Penn State has been right there the, the most frequently. And this is especially true when there weren't divisions and like Wisconsin didn't automatically get a slot um, to the championship game to be the uh, sacrificial lamb year in and year out. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it, it, it basically, the feelings that it incurs for me are not those of uh, rivalry, but more of a annoying thing that's just there. And it reminds me of the thing that I want my team to be, but it's just ever so close. So, um, so yeah, there, there are, there are some feelings there. Yeah. For me, like I, there's definitely some hatred there. Uh, uh, I don't know how much of, I don't know if it's strong hatred or not, but it kind of goes off that. It's like with Ohio state, it's just really more of annoyance type things. Like it seems like, um, Maybe not last year, but every year before that, yeah, they would get caught by an Iowa or Purdue. Uh, but the years before that, I always felt like they would always have a game where they should lose, like uh, that Maryland game a couple years ago in the shootout. Th- that was a game they probably should have lost, but because they're a hot state, they, they always find a way to pull out a victory in that. And, and they, they would always find ways to pull out victories in games they probably should have lost to inferior opponents. And maybe one time out of 10, they actually lost those games. Then they lose one of the best uh, head coaches in the history of mankind in Urban Meyer. And somehow they get better in recruiting and they get better on the field. Uh, so it, it's, there's a, a hatred, I guess you could say, but at the same time, it's like kind of what Elliot was saying. And I, I guess more for me, it's just jealousy that they somehow always get better and, I mean, there's just no knocking off a Ohio State uh, for the foreseeable future uh, for more than a year. Sure, Penn State could beat them this year, but chances are if Penn State beats them this year, they probably lose next year or the year after that. And you're you're never going to, I feel like, in the foreseeable future until Penn State gets top five recurring classes every year that it's not going to be a back-and-forth thing every year. It's going to be – you win one, you lose two, maybe you win one or two and then lose three. But I feel like there's still a long way till Penn State's consistently able to beat a state uh, or actually have a chance. I mean, you could say they had the last three years outside 2019 because they won in 2016, 2017. They had a lead. 2018, they had a lead. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's what separates a very good program in Penn State and an elite program in Ohio State. You find a way to win, and Ohio State's just better at that than anybody in the country. I think I would add, too, to the whole – the annoyance of it or whatever term you want to use, I think what's super frustrating to me, and I'm sure you guys will agree, is if you look at the Big Ten landscape – Outside of Ohio State, no program recruits better than Penn State. No program has developed talent better than Penn State. No program since James Franklin has gotten here has won more games and been more successful than Penn State. So I think that's one thing, too, that's so frustrating is to know you're easily one of the seven to ten best programs in the country. But 
you look up at your division and you have one of the two or three best programs in the country and they're with you. You know, I think it would be similar to probably how uh, LSU, a team that we talked about earlier, probably feels most years where they have all kinds of talent, but you got to get past Bama. You know, and I think that that's one of the things with me that really frustrates me is knowing Penn State has the talent to be as good as anybody in the country and to really be the top dog in the Big Ten if it were not for Ohio State. Or even if Ohio State was just a few pegs down and you might see them kind of going back and forth on a yearly basis kind of thing. It's just that that's one thing that's super frustrating with me. Oh, you know, they were just in another division and then we just get to meet them in the championship. Like Wisconsin's right to 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 life. Like I, what was it? What year was it? Oh, it's 2016. The this, the year Penn State won the Big Ten. Wisconsin had it. Had Wisconsin been a team in the East, they wouldn't have sniffed the championship because they'd already mm-hmm. lost to Ohio State and Michigan before they made it to the championship game. And I think uh, if I'm allowed to get on my soapbox for a few more seconds here. This is why teams of conferences should get rid of divisions. Yep. Wisconsin wants to make the championship game. Let them beat Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and all the other teams that they should have to beat in order to deserve that right. Instead of every year at the beginning of the season, just handing them the gift of here, go lose to Ohio State by as many points as 60 minutes will allow. <laughs> and Go then ahead. still get the Rose Bowl bit over Penn State because Barry Alvarez knows people. We're not oh bitter my, or anything. My God, the blood is flowing now. We're going. I'm going to this. With, wait a minute. Wisconsin gets a gift. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But uh, we're going we're gonna to stop talking about Ohio State, the team that clearly has a contract with Satan. We'll go, we're going to talk about your favorite team now, now that everything's moving along very well. We're going to talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Do you guys – you mentioned James Franklin. You mentioned James Franklin's success. I did, not just Franklin, but the whole coaching staff. Do you feel like everything is in place? This season? Yeah, as, a, as a coaching staff. Yeah, this season. I mean, we're taking it one year at a time. Why not? Um, so I would say this season, staff-wise, I think it's as good as it has been in a really long time. Like, this is the first time going into a season where I feel like we have – there are no question marks uh, staff-wise. And the reason I I talk about this season is because another thing that's been quite uh, apparent with Penn State is our assistants move on to bigger and better things as soon as they have success at Penn State, which is a good thing, right? Like we don't, we don't want to be in a situation where we're firing assistants. We want them to be in a situation where they're getting promotions elsewhere. So this year um, I'm very confident in our coaching staff uh, that, we have people who are right for the job, coaching the right groups of uh, folks and not shoving a tight ends coach to coach the quarterbacks or anything of that sort. Um, so, so this is why I'm actually probably more optimistic than most when it comes to Penn State this season, is I think we finally have the right coaches coaching the right personnel. Yeah, I totally agree there that I think this is the best staff. Uh, at least an argument can be made this is the best staff James Franklin has had since he's been here. Um, 
there was a lot of heated debate on the Black Shoe Diary Slack channel last year about Ricky Ronnie's offensive coordinator. Um, I was a lot harder on him than Ellie was, but and I think a big knock I had with him as well was, I, and you kind of referenced this was he was a tight ends coach coaching quarterbacks. And I do wonder how much of the struggles of the offense was him struggling as a, as a quarterback coach as much as it was him as an offense coordinator. So now you bring in Kirk Scirocco, who has a who has a great pedigree with Minnesota and with Western Michigan, what he's done with quarterbacks, what he's done with his offense. Um, Matt Limegrove, the former offensive line coach, was very much one of those guys who did a good job, never really did a great job. But now you bring in Phil Trotwine, who – by all accounts is a rising superstar in coaching ranks. I mean, the Boston college, he turned their entire offensive line into an all ACC. All five of them were all ACC guys. And I think he produced two or three first round draft picks. So I think the offensive line takes a big step forward this year. And this defensive staff has proven in the past. I mean, Brent Pry is very, very good. Yes. You lose Sean Spencer, who's a great defensive line coach, but John Scott Jr., who's come in and produced first-round talent as the defense line coach South Carolina. He got started as a grad assistant under Pry, which I think is very telling that Pry went out and pushed for this guy, having worked with him in the past. Probably shows that he has a lot of faith and a lot of belief in him. So I, I think that this staff is very good. It's definitely one of the best in the Big Ten and probably one of the best in the country. And that's a big reason why you see Penn State – not just recruit at a high level, but develop talent because you see teams all over the country recruit well. I mean, like take a Tennessee, for example, who recruits in the top 10, top 15, and just doesn't win games, doesn't put guys in the league. But I mean, Penn State, some of their most successful players have been guys who were that last minute, like Journey Brown, for example, got offered like two weeks before signing day. It was a two-star recruit that no one was recruiting and came in and may have been the best running back in college football this year, may still be depending on what happens with his health. So I think that this coaching staff is – Tremendous. And I think that starts with James at the top. I think he's very good. I think he's the perfect guy for this job. And, you know, realistically, he's not going to be here forever, but I hope he's here for a long time and wins a few more championships along the way. Yeah. I mean, Marty and LA kind of uh, summed that up great. Uh, for me, I feel like the big thing is going to be Shiraka and Ronnie. I mean, Ronnie is a probably very good offensive coordinator but he his one of his other problems was is that he would sometimes just almost have no feel for the game and he would go away from what was working but for Sharaka I mean we saw in Minnesota he will stick with what works throughout the game and for Penn State this year that's probably going to be run the ball against inferior opponents uh, there's no reason that Penn State shouldn't run the ball um 40, 45 times a game at least and 200 yards a game. They have, and I think we can agree, a, a top three backfield in the country um, at least, even without Journey Brown. Um, and then, yeah, Travine, like uh, Marty said, I think is going to be a big improvement uh, this year uh, at Boston College uh, with him gone now. Uh, they're only averaging 2.1 yards per carry, and they've already allowed 18 sacks. Last year, they only allowed 13 sacks, and they're still returning four or five starting offensive linemen from last year. So you look, obviously, they went through a whole coaching staff change, but if an offensive line is taking that big of a step back, part of it at least has to be coaching. And then 
Yeah, overall, I think uh, the the uh, coaching staff is the best I've felt about it. Uh, I don't think Franklin is an elite game day coach. I don't know if Ellie or Marty would agree with that. He certainly has his flaws when it comes to game day coaching. Uh, but I I think a lot of people forget that uh, Dabo Sweeney, in his first few years as a head coach at Clemson, was not an elite game, uh, game day coach. But as he built an elite staff around him, Clemson was on the rise, and we see where they are now. Um, not saying Penn State's going to get to that Clemson level, but if uh, Franklin can st- continue to build these uh, tremendous staffs around him, uh, Penn State will be fine on the field. It's just going to be about being consistent uh, in recruiting, especially in state, and not letting uh, five-star prospects and back-to-back classes get out of the state. One would say Dabble is still not an elite game day coach. <laughs> because he doesn't have to be. Yeah, I think Brent Venables and Tony Elliott are uh, calling a lot of the shots in Clemson. But I-, I will agree, Dylan, that there have been questions with James with some of his game day decision-making, especially in terms of clock management. I also think last year we saw a lot of growth there. Um, the Michigan and Iowa games, for example, we ran out the clock at the end. That's something we really struggled with in the past. Indiana, whenever they scored to cut it to, I think, like, four or five with like nine minutes to go. We went on like a 75 yard, like 19 play drive that just bled the clock. And we got a one yard touchdown run by Clifford with like 30 seconds left to put it on ice. So I think we saw a lot of improvements in that last year. So I'm hoping we continue to see improvement that this year. And I think we will, because like, A, I don't picture him getting worse first and foremost. And B, I think having Kirk Schrock here with the offense will help a lot as well. Because last year, one of the things Minnesota did really well in the second half was they got that big lead. And once Penn State's offense came to life and started roaring back, we ran out of time at the end of that game. And the reason we ran out of time was because Minnesota just bled the clock, run the ball, snap it with two, three seconds on a play clock. And that's ultimately cost us the game in the second half as much as anything because we cut down on the turnovers and we were just moving the ball with these and just ran out of time. So I think that we will continue to see improvements in that area. And I also want to point out, right, that like um, James Frank was is on his tenth year as a head coach, anyway, right? Three years at Vanderbilt. This is his seventh year at Penn State, so he still has a lot to learn, right? Nick Saban wasn't the god of coaches in his first ten years as coach, right? He he did that in his next ten years as coach. That's when he really became the death star that he really is now right so like um and 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 i'm not mentioning nick saban as some implication that franklin will become saban but more to say that um only the very elite very uh unique coaches in the history of college football have shown to be that immediately after um myers uh urban myers the first person that comes to mind where the minute he took a head coaching job, you knew. Um, and Franklin can be a very, very, very good coach, but he's still learning. And that's that's perfectly okay because even though he's still learning, Penn State has done pretty well with him. So, You guys mentioned the offense and the running the ball. You've mentioned quarterback Sean Clifford, your starter. Uh, you've mentioned Journey Brown is your starting runner back, but may have some issues. Four out of five offensive linemen return. You've got 
I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Pat Freermuth. 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 Freermuth, the tight end, is one of the best tight ends in the nation, right? Okay. Yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Hopefully. Should be. Tell, tell me about the offense. Who is Sean Clifford good? Is Journey Brown going to play? Or what's up with him? Who's going to score points? And how many points do you need? And we'll get to your defense in a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll dive in with Journey here. It seems he's definitely not going to play this week. Um, yeah. He's not out for the season. He's not officially, according to James Franklin. Um, there's It's an undisclosed injury issue. No one knows – or health condition, excuse me. No one knows what it is. Even without him, I mean, he, you take away the home run ball with Journey. I mean, the guy when he was in high school – broke all kinds of Pennsylvania track records and was putting up like Olympic gold medal type stats in track and field. So he has elite speed. However, you still have Noah Kane, who was the starting running back last year until he got hurt and set the Penn state freshman uh, record for touchdowns. Uh, Devin Ford, who in my opinion has the highest ceiling of any back on this roster anyway, was another, depending on what recruiting service you want to look at five-star guy. And then they bring in two highly rated four-star backs in this year's class they are expected to contribute. So you throw that in with that offensive line. And like you said, we got four or five starters back and the one spot where there's not a starter back at, at uh, left guard, we, it's going to be Mike Miranda, but last year, Mike Miranda and CJ Thorpe, the starting right guard basically split, split reps at right guard. So you have, Technically, he wasn't a starter last year, but played starter minutes. So you have all kinds of experience on that line. I think a wide receiver is going to be the biggest question mark on the offense this year, and you lost a lot in K.J. Hamler. Now, last year, Clifford really struggled with reads and going through his progressions, but I've oftentimes wondered how much of that was he just got locked on to Hamler and Fryermuth, which it's tough to blame him for that when you have two guys that reliable, and then if they weren't open, he tucked the ball and ran. So I think he needs to be better with that and receivers need to step up and give him a little more confidence. But Penn State, I think, will be okay at receiver. They bring back Jahan Dotson, who last year caught five touchdowns, had a productive season. Um, Parker Washington is going to start as a true freshman. He was a guy who playing 6A ball in Texas. So, I mean, that's about his best high school football you're going to find. Just put up monster numbers in high school. And he's starting. I think he'll have a big season. And another true freshman to watch will be Keandre Lambert-Smith who was an All-American in high school, chose Penn State over Clemson. Um, I, I think if you can get those two to step up with Dotson and go with Fryermuth, and I think we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel as well this year because Penn State's very deep at the tight end position. Brenton Strange will be another guy to watch there. I think the offense is going to be okay. I have a lot of faith in Kirk Shirock as well, which goes a long way here. But I, I think that you're going to see Penn State's offense – in terms of points per game, that sort of thing might not be much different than last year, but I think you're going to see them be a lot more efficient. You're not going to see these games where you have your quarterback going nine for 25 or whatever it might be. I think you're going to see less turnovers. I think you're going to see a more efficient running game, especially. So I think the offense, even if the stats don't look a whole lot better in terms of efficiency, time of possession, things of that nature, I think the offense will take a step forward this year between returning experience, incoming freshman talent, and just the the factor that Kirk Schrocker brings to the table. Yeah, I think when it comes to the running game, um, my confidence doesn't come from one specific guy. Yes, Journey Brown turned out to be pretty great. Um, and I believed in him. I will take credit for this. I believed in him from the day he stepped on campus. 
Um, I wrote a piece on how he would be the breakout player that everyone made fun of me for. He ended up being that. So I was right. Um, but what makes me confident when it comes to the running game is what Marty just talked about. We have so many talented running backs that we could be in a position where comes the fourth quarter and all we're doing is just putting in one fresh running back to step in for the one that already had 15, 20 carries. And we can keep um, the, the, the game going. And, and you know what? I, 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 there's no shame here. And just like basically do what Minnesota did for most of their games, right? Like just bleed out the clock and just don't let the other team um, have an opportunity with the ball, which – you know, in 2020, that seems to be the best defensive strategy. So just don't let the other team touch the ball and you're good. And if Penn State can do that this year, um, especially on October 31st, they can score a couple touchdowns and just keep Ohio State on the bench <laughs> on offense. That would be great. So uh, if you're listening, uh, coaching staff, you know, just, uh, just try your best. Try your best. But, uh, but also on top of that, right, it's going back to um, what we mentioned earlier. Penn State has been stockpiling talent. It might not be the ridiculous number of five stars that other programs have been stockpiling. But you know what? They're high four stars. There are, they're, these are not scrubs that are stepping in for um, Journey Brown that are stepping in for, um, well, we saw it in um, Sean Clifford last year for Trace McSorley, although Trace McSorley himself was a three-star. Um, like, the, we, there is talent coming in. And, you know, as still, Penn State, um, Marty also touched on this, right? A lot of these guys that are new starters, um, I think we have nine of them returning, but like all, all, all the other new starters, have done the same thing that other schools in the top 10 do, which is they're not starters, not because they're not seeing the field, but because someone else is spending more time. Devin Ford and Noah Kane have played a number of snaps, and this, this is not going to be new for them. The two freshmen coming in, of course, this is the first time in college, but I also expect that they're going to spend a ton of time on the field um, in a reduced capacity because we have fewer games. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to touch on Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford, even though he could have been better, was actually pretty good last season. Yes, there were the games where, um, and I think this is the, uh, a byproduct of his being the first time um, starting. There were some really inefficient games, but then – he would follow those up with really efficient games. He actually ended up with, uh, off the top of my head, 2,500 yards, uh, 23 touchdowns, seven interceptions, which, you know, it's not, it's not Joe Burrow good, but also it's not Christian Hackenberg 2014 bad. You know, it's, it's, it's good enough to, to get you 11 wins. Now, can he be good enough to get you? All right, it's 11 wins this season again. Yeah, can he good enough to get you another 11 wins? That's that's going to be the question. Yeah, they pretty much uh, summed that up uh, pretty well. Uh, yeah, what Ellie said about Cliff, I fully agree with. Uh, 
And with the running game, if the running game is as good as Penn State, sorry about that, if Penn State expects it to be, uh, I, I think it, it's kind of like the uh, um, Franklin uh, thing. If he has elite guys around him or if the running game is very good and Penn State doesn't have to throw the ball 30, 35 times a game, uh, it's they're going to be better for it. Uh, I think Clifford's very good, but uh, I'm not – I don't know if I'm comfortable with him throwing it 30, 35, 40 times a game right now, at least. We'll see what he does tomorrow. If he goes out there and uh, dominates the Indiana secondary, my entire opinion uh, may change. Uh, beyond that, though, uh, I'm just going to be watching the wide receivers more than any position group this year. You look at teams like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, uh, their wide receivers not aren't necessarily running the greatest routes or anything like that. They're just running past everybody. And uh, Penn State has had a lot of speed. Uh, but if they can get to that point where we don't have to worry about uh, always getting separation on a route, but instead just beating somebody with pure speed or um, skill, um, then I think um, the offense is going to be uh, taking a big step forward this year. And they have a guy like that in park. Washington and Keandre uh, Smith-Lambert. And then, worst case this season, uh, they have Pat Fryermuth, who you alluded to earlier, who uh, I would say coming into the season, uh, I know a lot of us wanted to make the argument was the best tight end in the country. Uh, Kyle Pitts has kind of put himself out in front now quite a bit, uh, which – I'm fine with I'm. I live five minutes from where Kyle Pitts went to high school, so uh, I'm fine with it either way. Whoever is the best tight end, uh, but yeah, worst case scenario, you got one of the best safety valves I think in the country there in uh, Fryermuth, and he's gonna he's gonna be the guy they go to. I would say at least fifty percent of the time this year in the passing game, uh, but overall, I, I feel confident this offense is gonna be able to be really good against inferior opponents. It's all about can they put up 35-plus points on Ohio State because I think that's where you're going to at least have to be to talk about beating them. Okay. The defense, Micah Parsons, probably widely regarded as the best defensive player in the nation is not on the field this season. He's opted out for the NFL draft. Uh, how is the defense going to be without him? Because if if you guys have watched any 2020 football so far this season, you've noticed that defense, even in the mighty SEC, seems to be a completely optional part of the game for everyone. So does Penn State have a defense without Micah Parsons? Does Penn State need a defense without Micah Parsons, or do they need a defense at all? Does anybody need defense? How are you looking? Well, one would hope that you need defense. Uh, but um, I'll have you know that we just got word that there is a, a guy with uh, eligibility named uh, Pika Marsons that uh, is uh, – Joining the team, he won't be available until next Saturday, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm very excited. But uh, aside from that guy, 
we do have Brendan Smith who showed um, a lot of promise. And uh, I think this is another argument for, um, I guess football, if you're not a quarterback or a very, really good running back, one person isn't going to make or break uh, your team. I think we saw that now Ohio State. I know we weren't going to talk about them, um, but I'll, I'll have to go to them again. Like we saw that Ohio State just kept humming along. Sure, it was Rutgers and Maryland. They kept humming along um, when um, his name escapes me. Someone help me. Uh, when Chase Young was suspended. There he goes, Chase Young. See, this is how much I care about Ohio State. I don't even <laughs> remember their names. Um, Chase Young got suspended and Ohio State did just fine, right? Um, and I would hope that while Parsons is going to be a great loss, that it doesn't make the difference between a good season and a disaster. And if it does, then we have way more to worry about as a program than, than the loss of Mike Parsons, right? Um, but I think what we lose in Parsons, we actually do uh, kind of make up for it in the defensive line that we do have. Um, that that I personally believe those people are, are going to eat their lunch this season. And um, again, we, we still have talent at linebacker. We don't have – Parsons is not going to be a drop-in replacement it's going to be a, a team effort. And, and our secondary, you know, they struggled a bit um, last, last year. But I think they can only get better. So, But, I mean, if, if the line is as good as I expect it to be, then the, 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 the rest of the defense will have that um, much easier of a job. Yeah, to, to build off the defensive line comment there, I agree. I think this defensive line is going to be very good. I think you have four future NFL guys as your starting defensive linemen, two of which could potentially be first-round guys one day in Jason Oway and P.J. Mustafer. Um, I think where you're going to miss Mike the most isn't even going to be in the pass rush, and a big part of that is how deep Penn State is a defensive end between Jason Oway, Shaka Tony, Dez Isaac is another guy to watch. Um, but Brent Pry likes to run a lot of four two five as his base defense. And in the four two five this year, those two linebackers on the field were going to be Micah Parsons and Brandon Smith. Now Brandon Smith obviously will still be out there, but Micah and Brandon are two guys who I mean Smith was I think two four seven sports had him as like the eighth or ninth player in the country in his class. So again, elite athleticism, speed, skill set for linebacker. So he and Micah could be your two guys out there and you don't lose anything in coverage. I think the biggest question mark for the defense now becomes how do you replace Micah Parsons in that four two five? Um, do you go, it might be Jesse Lucetta, it might be Ellis Brooks, two guys who have played a lot of football for Penn State, two guys who are very good linebackers. But the biggest question mark on them is that athleticism. So do we see that? Maybe Curtis Jacobs, who's a five-star that's coming in this year, Lance Dixon, another former five-star that's in the linebacker room as a redshirt freshman. Or maybe they walk up, you could see some, like a potential where they bring a safety up to be more of closer to the line of scrimmage in those type of situations. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think that's going to be the hardest part for placing Micah's who that other linebacker is out there with Smith and that four, two, five set. 
And with the secondary, yes, they definitely struggled last year down the stretch. I think a lot of that seemed to stem from a lack of good communication between the corners and the safeties. There was a lot of times the cornerbacks were handing receivers off to the safeties and the safeties weren't there to pick them up and you had guys just running wide open. Um, I know Penn State has made a big emphasis on that this offseason and corners back coach Terry Smith recently told the media that he thinks they've got all that ironed out. Um, and this cornerback room is extremely talented. I mean, Tariq Castro Fields is only still here because he played with an injury the second half of last season. He was well on his way to playing himself into being a high draft pick and not coming back for a senior year. And then they have a quartet of guys who were in last year's recruiting class in Keaton Ellis, Joey Porter Jr., Marquise Wilson, Daquan Hardy, who they think the world of. Um, actually, Porter Jr. is going to start a corner on Saturday and he redshirted last year, but Ellis and Wilson both played as true freshmen. And I think they combined to cause something like 10 turnovers, which as a true freshman is just insane. So I think there's a lot of talent in the secondary. If they hammer out those communication issues, I think the secondary would be very good. And that just that, that defensive line, like Ellie said, that it can be a handful. And I think that'll really help make up for what you lose in Micah Parsons, the pass rusher. I mean, obviously a player like Parsons, you can never replace that guy, but he's losing him. Shouldn't cripple your defense either. Again, as we've said, if losing Micah cripples the defense, then there's bigger problems here than not having Micah Parsons, especially with the amount of talent they have brought in on the defensive side of the ball in recent years. Yeah. I'm going to keep this short because again, uh, they pretty much summarized everything I was going to say. Um, but just you need, you need to go first next time, man. I, I think so. Uh, but uh, just go off of Marty there. Yeah, there's no replacing uh, Parsons. He's uh, like you said, was going to be the best defensive player in the country, and and uh, just not even in the pass rush. He it almost felt like at times that he could have counted as even two or three players because on one play, um, like he could be a pass rusher. He could be a linebacker or he could even be a cornerback because he had 4-4 four, four speed. So, I mean, he can cover mostly pretty much every tight end they were going to face. He could cover a lot of receivers and he could cover a good amount of running backs. Um, so, I mean, there is no replacing a guy who can do those three things at an elite level, and that's why he's going to be at least a top 10 pick and probably a top maybe a, a top five pick in the draft next year. Uh, but I, I feel confident the talent they have on that defensive line and in the linebacker unit and secondary to make up for that loss. And like Ellie said, if the defense collapses because Parsons not in the middle there, uh, then there's major problems that go way beyond just losing Parsons. And it's going to be a long season if that's the case. Okay, Dylan, you can go first on this one. You guys are at this level where you, you know, Ellie mentioned earlier, the ball needs to bounce the right way. A lot of this stuff, when you're trying to get over the hump and be the best, there's that third part of the game, which is special teams where you have to have good punting and you have to have good uh, field goal unit, things like that. So how are Penn State's special teams? Uh, if you asked us this question, what was it? Two years ago, they, we probably would have said, uh, pretty uh pretty damn bad uh but joe lorig uh came in and uh i think he came in from texas tech at the time or was he with the Memphis texas tech yeah, it was texas he'd been at texas tech for literally like a week yeah 
because he left Memphis, went down there, and then Franklin went down and poached him. Uh, but since he's come in, uh, Penn State's special teams, I don't know if they've been a lead, but they've been pretty good. Uh, the biggest question going into this year, I think, is uh, replacing Blake Gillikin, uh, the punter that uh, Penn, Penn State's had for the last four years. Um, he, he was pretty consistent and was pr- as good as you can get probably if you're uh, for Penn State. Uh, I think Jordan – is Jordan Stout the punter this year? Eli Martin? Yeah. Jordan Stout's the punter yeah, this year. Plan. Uh, he's got a wicked leg. Uh, he has uh, the Penn State record for longest field goal, uh, 56 yards against Pitt last year. Uh, so he he's going to be their punter. He's also going to be long-distance field goal guy. Um, their regular kicker, Jake Pinnegar, uh, he's pretty good. He's been pretty consistent. Uh, I'm confident in him kicking anything when – in 45 pretty much uh, and then the return game we'll see how that goes they've had pretty elite return uh guys in the kickoff department the last few years uh pun wise it's it's been probably average but uh they have enough talent that they could probably uh get by there in the return game so i'd say uh in terms of special teams uh i expect them to be in the top three top five in the big 10 this year Yeah, I agree. I think the special teams will be pretty good. Joe Lorig kind of had a reputation as being maybe the best special teams coach in the country when he was in Memphis, and it's picked up. He was only here for one year, but it's just the special teams improved tenfold last season. Gillikin was terrific. Their coverage was terrific. I don't remember if he ever returned a kick for a touchdown last year or not. I know Hamler had one against Michigan that got called back on a very – very iffy holding call. We'll say that. But um, even though they weren't breaking him for touchdowns, they were consistently getting good returns. They were consistently starting the 30, 35, 40-yard line. So, I mean, that's one or two less first downs you need every drive. That can make a world of difference. Um, this year with the return game, like Dylan said, you know we've had some really good returners in recent years, but it really helps when your return men are Saquon Barkley and then you have K.J. Hamler ready to come in after him. Um, Devin Ford is set to return kicks. I think Ford has the potential to be a very good return man. Um, I'm, I believe Jahan Dotson is going to be the punt returner to start the year. We'll see how that goes. I mean, he's your number one receiver, so sometimes you can be a little hesitant to leave those guys back there. But I think one thing, too, that has really helped Penn State in recent years, with special teams, outside of the Phil Galliano disaster in 2018, special teams have been pretty solid. And I think a big part of it is when you recruit this well and bring in this much talent, you know, you, you don't have to have your special teams units made up of walk-ons and things like that, which during the sanction years was one thing that killed Penn State. They didn't have the depth to have good special teams units. They have that depth now. Whenever your second and third string defensive backs, linebackers, receivers, whatever they are, or for, former four-star, former top 100 guys, and they're out there covering kicks – you're going to have a good special teams unit. So I expect that to continue this season. Also, what I expect to continue is uh, Penn State's tradition of naming someone on defense uh, to be either a starting or a backup returner. And I believe this year's honoree is Lamont Wade. Huh. Right, right now, Wade is listed as the up back. Originally, it was going to be Parsons, and like Mike had, since the day he got on campus, has been was like badgering James Franklin about letting him touch the ball. 
So like everyone was just beyond stoked to watch Mike. Cause I like, I could have seen like first kickoff of the year, him like running over and like throwing Ford out of the way to get underneath it and return it. And it would have been fun to just watch him bully people, but that'll be Lamont Wade who I watched him play a bunch in high school. I live outside of Pittsburgh. That's where he's from. And he was a very good running back. So like he might actually be a half decent return man if he gets his hands on one, but yeah, no, that's always a fun tradition is the random defensive guy. We're going to throw back there to make him feel good. Uh, that reminds me of that Parsons uh, thing there uh, of back in the spring when they released the spring depth chart and Parsons was uh, listed uh, as one of the kickoff return guys and everybody on Penn State Twitter was uh, going crazy. And then about five minutes after that, they released a revised depth chart that uh, did not have him listed at uh, as the starter, at least. He may have been still on there, but uh, – yeah, it's a shame we'll never see uh, Parsons uh, touch the ball on the offensive side, but uh, uh, I think they'll be just fine without him. And uh... Okay, we have some stuff to follow up on. Marty, earlier you mentioned that uh, your children will never attend that place in Columbus. Uh, I have a – there is a 21-year-old kid upstairs who attends the University of Minnesota – he is known as the rotten son on my website and podcast because of his choices, his really crappy choices. But there was a woman involved. You know, your wife gets involved, mom, whatever. Uh, Ellie, earlier you said you made the comment, Wisconsin gifted the Big Ten West forgetting that there are actually other teams in the Big Ten West. I will point out also that it took three of you guys to gang up on me, and we're going to move to the next section of our podcast, which is I want your outsider's perspective on Nebraska and Scott Frost. And you can tell – you can. there's a long history for me with Penn State – in 1982, I was in college and I watched the cheating that went on that robbed us as of a national title in McCluskey's corner. And the next pass bounced off the ground. And from there on, you know, Penn State's been a pain to me. But uh, an outsider's perspective on Nebraska and Scott Frost and go. Um, well, I'll start. Um, first of all, you got your payback in 1994. I sincerely believe that if Miami was able to score 17 in the first quarter, Penn State would have at least scored 30. So that's going to be a bigger hole to come back from than a, a mere 17 points. So, you know, I call it even. But I will say, present-day Nebraska, if there is a team that's going to the dethrone with Wisconsin, um, uh, not considering Minnesota for the minute, because I don't think – P.J. Fleck will actually be at Minnesota in like two to three years. Um, but if there is a, th a team that's actually equipped to dethrone Wisconsin as the team that's gifted the West, it is Nebraska and only because they actually have the history and tradition to fall back on. It looks at times as if it's a long road ahead. Um, I think I'm actually higher on Nebraska than anyone else that I've spoken uh, to. I think. Um, so so I, far I, you're I, being, you're being very diplomatic. 
<laughs> I like diplomacy, you know, but uh, I think I, I I think it's it's hard to understate the ridiculous um, trash job, if I can call it that, that Mike Riley did. I think a lot of people watch Frost at UCF, and they figure, well, if he can take UCF from zero twelve to twelve zero, he can do the same thing at Nebraska. And like that's not that's that's you know that's that's unreasonable because the the American is not the Big Ten. And like, yes, out of all the group of five conferences, the American is by far the best, but it's still a couple of steps below the Big Ten. And it's just, I think to believe that Nebraska isn't going to get better just because Scott Frost didn't turn it around in two years, it's a little bit premature. And even, even, even in the the two years that he has been there you you've seen what it is he's trying to do and you've seen recruiting pick up they're not in the top 10 yet but you know they're progressing through the top 25 so i would say maybe two to three years from today i'm not sure how the season's going to go probably a lot more pain um but like two to three years from now you probably see the nebraska they hire scott frost for um, and, and I think the, the, one of the earliest uh, pieces of evidence that for, for this, for me, was they went to Ohio State and nearly beat them. But because it's Ohio State, they got the bounce. And that was on Scott Frost's first year. Sure, it did not look pretty last season, but um, I – We'll see what happens on Saturday, right? Like, I, I genuinely believe that Nebraska has the right guy. I will uh, admittedly say maybe he should talk a little less. <laughs> but um, in terms of what he wants to do, I think they can actually do it. Yeah, I, I agree with – the things you said and for the same reasons um i think minnesota what would hurt them in terms of dethroning wisconsin is i don't i agree i I don't think pj flex there for the long haul he will eventually move on to something bigger but with nebraska when nebraska is nebraska there isn't much bigger than that and you throw in scott frost being a nebraska guy and i think he'll be there as long as nebraska will let him i i think patience is key i don't know I admittedly don't know how the Nebraska fan base feels about Froster's first two years, but I definitely think patience is key. They're recruiting at a high level. Um, I just saw the other day when 247 Sports released their team talent composite, when Frost got there, Nebraska was like 10th in the Big Ten, and they're all the way up to, I think, 5th now, either 5th or 6th. Like He is improving that roster. I think this could be another rough year for Nebraska. I think maybe not necessarily in terms of the game, games being blowouts, but more the win loss. But um, I'm a big believer in the rebuild of the lose big, lose small, win small, win big progression. I think Nebraska is ready to take the step from lose small to win small. So I I agree. I think Nebraska is close to turning this corner with Scott Frost, as long as they're patient with him. And I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they become that team that can run the big 10 West more so than Wisconsin if nothing else, as long as Frost is there, they're always going to recruit at a higher level in Wisconsin. They're always going to have more talent. 
So, I mean, now be a Paul Christ is a great coach. He runs his system flawlessly and that's what makes it tough to beat. But yeah, I, I think as long as Nebraska is patient with Scott Frost, I think within two years or so, you can see them start to get back to being what people expect about Nebraska, you know, a consistent top 15 or so program, maybe a little higher winning nine, 10 games a year. If nothing else, they, I think Frost at least gets them to where they were under Bo Pelini, which I mean, I'm sure right now a lot of Nebraska fans would love to have the Bo Pelini years back because nothing else, you know, going to the Big Ten title game, playing for Big 12 championships, winning nine, 10 games a year. That's one thing I know some Penn State fans get frustrated. James Franklin having not made the playoff yet. And that's why I try and tell them, so yes, it hasn't. But, you know, we're consistently winning 10, 11 games a year. As long as you're doing that, you're going to be in that position every year to potentially make it. And, like, there's a lot of programs in the country, Nebraska included, who'd love to be in that position. So, uh, but again, yeah, I, I think Frost can get Nebraska there if the university and the fan base are patient with him for another two years or so. I just want to interject before Dylan goes and to say um, Paul Chris is very good at running Barry Alvarez's system. Wisconsin has been running the same system since 1993. I just want to point that out. Fair enough. Wisconsin Barry Alvarez and Brett Bielema, I don't yeah. actually hate Wisconsin. I'm just really annoyed that they get way more credit than they deserve. Wisconsin fans can uh, holler at me later, but they do. They're a very solid team that, you know, in the 90s, they did actually do a lot of things they earned. But the fact that you can count a Big Ten championship to your name when you were the third team in the in your division, that's annoying. That's just annoying. Like, they're, I respect Wisconsin – as a program because they found what works for them and they are sticking to it come hell or high water and it's paid great dividends for them. But I am deeply annoyed that people talk about Wisconsin as something that they're not. And until they actually start recruiting like the rest of the Big Ten East and Nebraska, and until they actually start beating the Oregons of the world when they play them, I'm going to continue to think about Wisconsin as a team that undeservedly gets the honor of losing to Ohio State or whoever comes out of the East um, every year. Getting the, um, I think the one time, the one year they actually started out in the top five, that was the year that they lost six games, the 2018, right? Like that was, yeah. So like every time Wisconsin actually gets, to prove 2016 was another year that they were like expected to be the best of the best. And they still went out and lost to Ohio state and Michigan and Penn state, the three best teams in the big 10 that year. So like when Wisconsin can prove that they deserve to be in the conversation with Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, then I'll give them that credit until then they're frauds. I think I'll get off my soapbox with Wisconsin now. <laughs> no, you're good. And I fully agree on Wisconsin every year. We act like, uh, well, not me, but the media acts like Wisconsin is this team that can challenge for a playoff berth. And uh, let's be honest, every year they get to the Big Ten Championship, they're probably going to lose to Ohio State, Penn State. Um, I would say Michigan, but Michigan hasn't been that far. Uh, Michigan is you know another third one. in the Big Ten. That's Jim Harbaugh's specialty. But yeah, maybe terms- I should go off on Michigan, Michigan if you want, man. <laughs> well, I, I, I think, go off you know on Michigan all day. Uh, but in terms of Nebraska, I do feel like in 
two to three, two, three, four years that they could be where um, Nebraska fans want them to be, which is at the top of the Big Ten West, battling with Wisconsin to get to the Big Ten championship. And while Wisconsin will lose every time they get there, the truth be told, as you get to the Big Ten championship, anything can happen in one game. We saw that at Penn State. They fell down to Wisconsin big, came back, and won. That being said, I, I I think what's important for Nebraska going forward is, one, figuring out that defense. The offense, I think, will be fine going forward. Uh, it, it, Scott Frost has always been very good offensively. The defense made slight improvement from uh, two years ago, but uh, week to week, you, you really couldn't see it until at the end of the season when you look at the stats. But I think going forward, it's going to be big for Nebraska and like Penn State is finding that elite quarterback recruit. The reason Penn State hasn't taken the next step is they haven't had an elite quarterback. I mean, we look down at Georgia, which is a great example right now. Stetson Bennett, very good quarterback. It's amazing he's even starting for Georgia right now, considering everything. He's a very good quarterback. He's going to beat most teams he faces every year. Uh, but uh, we saw him go up against a potentially elite quarterback in Mac Jones and the elite quarterback ended up winning his team the game in the second half. Adrian Martinez is a, is a good quarterback. He did take a massive step backwards in my opinion last year. Maybe he takes that step forward to where he was as a freshman, but it's now not about what Martinez can do in my opinion, because sure. I think Nebraska could be good next year when he's a senior or a junior again, considering no eligibility. Uh, his loss this year, but if they can get an elite quarterback after him, I think that's where we could see Nebraska take that step back to the big top of the Big Ten West, competing with Wisconsin, competing against Penn State, giving Ohio State challenges when you play them, and really dominating the bottom of the Big Ten when they should be. Uh, because I don't think it's I, I think they're they're more talented than your Indiana's, your Purdue's, your Illinois's, your Northwestern's. Um, and right now, maybe your Iowa's. Iowa's tough because are they the most talented team in the world? No, but Kirk Ferentz will have his team ready to go every single week. Um, so I think a lot is there for Nebraska to take that step forward. It's about Scott Frost just putting it all together, especially defensively. And uh, like Ellie said, I think it will help if Scott Frost kind of tones it down a bit. He doesn't do himself any favors, at least outside of uh, Nebraska. I don't know what his perception is inside in terms of his uh, attitude, but like the sweatshirt comment like seemed a little stupid at the time. And uh, when he was complaining about his players wearing sweatshirts in pregame, and then in the press conference, he was wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, but stuff like – just the small things, if he can learn to dot back a little, I think will help his perception. And then uh, – which doesn't help anything on the field, uh, but it may give Nebraska a little bit more respect from around the country. But all in all, I think everything's there for Nebraska to take a step forward in the next two to four years. Uh, and then maybe five years – or so uh, we can talk about that being a consistent force at the top of the Big Ten West. 
Then, then Ellie will be complaining Nebraska being gifted the Big Ten West. <laughs> no, to be honest, I won't because I don't expect Wisconsin to change um, their formula, right? Like Wisconsin will be Wisconsin until Barry Alvarez dies or the world ends. Like, and, and honestly, if Barry Alvarez dies, they'll just make Paul Chris the AD and then Paul Chris will make whoever the next coach is going to be coached the exact same way Wisconsin has been doing it for nearly 30 years. That's not going to go away. So, in fact, my tune on Wisconsin itself would change once Nebraska is able to consistently compete. And again, if by some miracle P.J. Fleck is still at Minnesota when this happens, now you have three teams that are because, um, you know, I, P.J. Fleck has also been done a good job of recruiting for Minnesota. So they're stacking talent, too. So now you have two divisions where you have at least three teams that one can say are really good year in and year out. And whoever makes it out of the West at that point, um, like it'll, it'll, they would have earned it. Um, And I I do want to touch on Iowa too, because like whenever Iowa comes up, I just think of that one gif where um, um, Kevin Costner is just like, it's Iowa. Like that's, that's what it is. For me it's just it's Iowa like you don't know what I was gonna do it's it's I mean you do you know that they're gonna win at least seven or eight games who they're gonna beat is a mystery but they're they're always like Iowa's two favorite things is ensuring that every game is like pulling teeth and that every game ends with some weird score where it's two prime numbers um and it's just like a score you've never seen before and that's that's just the iowa way so you're almost almost always going to have a safety too there's almost always a safety in an iowa game it can be an iowa game without a safety it's like the rules of the universe so so a few special teams blunders as well yeah like it's like it's like iowa bingo you know safety missed field goal block extra point pick six you know weird officiating call it's, it's the Iowa bingo card but I will say this about Iowa right like it's a lot easier to get to the top like they did in 2015 when your bottom is eight wins it's like you know for if you're if your options are uh the extremes or the middle I'd pick the middle um nine times out of ten because at least it's a, it's a lot shorter road to climb from the middle to the top than it is from the bottom to the top. So, so, you know, give credit to Iowa for that because they, uh, they do in in a sense, they do the same thing as Wisconsin. They found their formula and they stick to it. Um, they just don't get the order deserved, uh, uh, you know, honor of being the sacrificial lamb in the championship game year in and year out. Wisconsin's yeah. figured that out better. One thing I'd throw in there too with the the Wisconsin v Nebraska thing is when they would reach the Big Ten title game, I feel like Nebraska would pose a lot more issues for whoever comes out of East than Wisconsin simply based on the offense they run. You know, the ground and pound, yes, it's rare in college football now, but, you know, you stack the box, you dare that quarterback to beat you, they're probably not going to beat you. With the Scott Frost offense, especially if he gets a good quarterback in there, man, that can be tough to stop. And I think that would – give the Big Ten West a lot more I, I don't want to say 
Yeah, it's just it, 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 it makes the Big Ten West as a whole better. Like Minnesota's done, I feel, to an extent. Yes, they haven't got to the Big Ten title game yet, but you just look at the Big Ten West and you feel totally different about it with Minnesota being good. You throw in Nebraska as well. I think that really changes things. And the last thing I want to add is uh, around the Big Ten, a lot of people don't look forward to playing at Beaver Stadium at night, but uh, since we, we get to look forward to that, uh, the, I think the four scarce words in the Big Ten for a Penn State fan is night game at Kinnick because uh, there there's some voodoo in that stadium, um, even during day games. But you go in there during a night game, and uh, like we said earlier, they're, uh, just in Iowa games in general, uh, but you put that at night in Kinnick, and it's just going to be all that, all the much crazier. And, uh, I mean, credit to them. They have uh, – I'd love to go to a night game at Kinnick one day. It seems like one of the best atmospheres in college football, but uh, I I do not look forward to any time Penn State goes into that stadium because it's always going to be a night game. You, you guys mentioned Nebraska's defense. Here's my take on Nebraska's defense. Uh, I think there's actually a second virus going around the nation that nobody knows about, and everyone in college football has been infected with the Big 12 defense. So it's never going to be cured because nobody really recognizes that it's actually a disease and it's, it's viral and it's catching on. And therefore Nebraska really won't have to have a great defense. They'll just have to have some guys that are on the field where people can run into them and they can fall over a pass rush is kind of optional. Eh, okay. So maybe it's a stretch. Maybe we can score 60 points a game. Here's your next bit. I have a good colleague of mine who I work with almost every day who is a Penn State alum. He keeps bugging me about making a bet on the Nebraska-Penn State game. What should I tell him, and what are your predictions Do you, if you want to make predictions for that game? Oh, man. Um, do we have to? Um, I, here's the thing, right? I already said that I'm – I already said that I'm higher on Nebraska than that most people are probably. Uh, I think like there's Nebraska fans themselves than there's me. So I'm actually not looking forward to that game. I would like to believe that Penn State is going to go in and take care of business. But if Penn State were to lose one random game out of nowhere, that's the one I'm kind of circling. Yep. Because uh, I don't think they're going to take Michigan for granted this year um ohio state is at home iowa's at home iowa's a different animal on the road than they are at home um ruggers and hell and and michigan state this year let's be honest they're just gonna roll over let's be realistic um and, and that leaves that leaves nebraska and i i'm kind of scared of that game so like I guess I'll split it and split split the difference and say whatever the line is, Nebraska's gonna cover it. Fingers crossed, that's all that happens. I would also take the over. Yeah, um, I would yeah, I'd agree with that, Dylan. But I also think Nebraska's this year's potential like what the heck trap game. Um I also think a lot hinges on what Penn State does before that. I mean, obviously if Penn State beats Ohio State. They're going to go into the rest of their games with a totally different mindset than if they lose. But at the same time, I, I can definitely foresee a scenario this year where an eight and one Penn state has as good a shot at the number four seed as anyone else in the country. Cause I don't think the big 12 or the PAC 12 are getting in. 
And assuming Bama wins the SEC, I don't think the SEC gets two. So I think a lot of it's just going to depend on that as well. Um, I definitely don't think Penn State goes in there and rolls over Nebraska by any means. I I would still pick them to win, but I don't think it's going to be one that they would win comfortably. Definitely not as comfortably as I think they would have the first two years under Frost. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that would be a game that I I can see Nebraska keeping it close really for three, three and a half quarters, and then Penn State gets a touchdown to make it like a two-score game at the end. But I I think Nebraska is going to keep that one close. I mean, uh, obviously they have Ohio Ohio State this weekend, and uh, that's going to be an extremely tough matchup. But – Second best team on your schedule is probably Penn State. So, if you can't beat Ohio State, uh, if you up if you can upset the number two team in the Big Ten, uh, then I mean that's a pretty good, uh, significant win. And uh, I mean, uh, Frost ha- hasn't had a signature win, I think, in Nebraska yet. Correct? Not uh, really. So, no. so no. A, a win over a Penn State would be a signature win uh, to say the least uh we saw it with minnesota last year uh i think nebraska definitely has the offense dependent on penn state's secondary uh to make that game interesting if penn state's secondary takes steps forward i think uh then penn state probably has a better chance of winning comfortably but i could definitely see that being a uh one of those nightmare big 10 games for penn state there's always randomly one in the middle of the season that they make a lot closer than they have to, and they play down to their competition. Uh, so I could definitely see uh, Nebraska being that team for Penn State this year. So, so what I'm going to tell him is he has to give me 20 points, and if he if Nebraska wins, he has to get a big red N tattooed right on his face. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would take. Nebraska to cover, I think, anything within 17. And I think 17, like, even 14 is tough because 14, I could see two touchdowns. But anything over 14, I would definitely take Nebraska to cover. One touchdown is my max. A single touchdown. Anything above that, I am staying away and taking the total, whatever that may be. But – if the line comes out and it's more than a touchdown. Now, I think Dylan mentioned this, um, or I think it was Marty. Someone mentioned this. This is all hinges on chalk being uh, everything and like Penn State actually loses to Ohio State. If Penn State beats Ohio State, all bets are off because the roadblock every year would now be out of the way. And it's just, and I think we saw that in 2016, the minute Penn State beat Ohio State, they just like, turned into a different team where they're just manhandling everything that came their way. So if that happens, then sure, I'll take a 14, whatever. If that doesn't happen, which means like as of today, that hasn't happened. We don't know what it, what's going to happen as of today. Seven is the most I'll ever, uh, you know, take on, on, the, on that game. Before, before this, yeah, just before- going off that, uh, Go ahead. Oh, I, 
Okay, before uh, we did, uh, we were gonna say go off the head. Go, yeah, my internet's being really. Well, it's not that point. Just go. Before, when we were arranging this podcast or we were setting this up, we kind of said that uh, we leave basketball to a later date. But you guys got news this week that was pretty shocking. And just for a setup, I mean, Nebraska basketball, we've never won an NCAA tournament game. We've, we're the, literally the worst team Division I basketball team in the history of the sport. You guys were supposed to be down there with us this last year. I believe you got up ranked to number nine, and then the pandemic hit, and you did not get to go into the NCAA tournament with a really excellent team that Pat Chambers built. And now in the last few days, we have heard that Pat Chambers has resigned as head coach of basketball at Penn State. Uh, what is going on and what is going to happen to your basketball program? Could you, you could come back down to the basement with us. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll start us off. Dylan and Marty can chime in if they'd like. Um, I will say first and foremost, obviously I myself, I'm a black person. Um, and the circumstances by which this has come about are most unfortunate and sad. Um, we are at a point in our society where people are actually being held accountable for their actions. And if that includes our former basketball coach, so be it. I am 100% behind the belief that your words and actions had impact. And if you choose to engage in a certain behavior, you will be held accountable. So that is, that is my thought on that. Um, with that out of the way, it's uh, unfortunate that it happened now. Um, Penn State has this nasty habit of getting rid of coaches or coaches leaving at the most unfortunate times, usually after some level of success is attained. We lost uh, Ed DeCellis by choice. Uh, in other words, his contract was not going to get renewed because it took too long for him to build anything worth anything. So he left for Navy. We now have the literal exact same situation. DeCellis left in June. Um, well after in their recruiting cycle was uh, taking shape. We now have a coach who resigns um, about a month before the season is supposed to begin and about a month before signing day. So Penn State's current roster is actually pretty talented and talented enough to continue to compete. Probably they won't spend eight weeks tied for first in the conference this season. Um, they're not going to rise all the way to number nine, but, you know, four out of five starters are back. You, you know, Lamar Stevens was not the only person scoring buckets. So that means Penn State would have been quite competitive this season still. Um, but I'm not, like, the one thing that I know is that Chambers players like them. Um, I can't vouch for every single one of those players' opinions because I don't know them personally, but what they say on social media made it seem like these people really like their coach. 
So we like this team is still as talented as they were on Tuesday night before the news broke. Now, will they have the same drive that they had on Tuesday night? That's going to be a question because if this, if Jim Ferry, who has already been named interim coach, and I expect him to coach the full season before a replacement is named, if Jim Ferry can't continue to build on what Chambers started, then we may find ourselves with the exact same situation Chambers found himself in 2011, which was a very talented team that made the tournament completely evaporated before his eyes, and he had to start from scratch. If the next coach, be it Jim Ferry, once he's made the permanent uh, coach, or whoever Sandy Barber and the athletic department is able to hire, has to start from scratch, then we'll, we'll see you again in 10 years and see how that coach randomly leaves. But if Jim Ferry and whoever that coach may be is able to actually keep some of these players, some of which are uh, high three, low four-star guys that Penn State had not seen in the numbers that there are before. Like there are 11 guys out of the 13 that were rated um, at high three and top 200 in the country. Like at, at one point, they may not have finished, but like at one point, these guys were rated that well. If seven or eight of those guys are suddenly gone, yeah, we'll see you in the basement. Um, but if they can stay within the program, I hope that whoever comes in is able to continue um, what Chambers started. And then last but not least, like assuming the worst, if those players leave, I sincerely hope the athletic department has the presence of mind to hire someone who is not some promising up and comer but a big name that can actually go get the recruits that we're going to need to refill the roster. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with it is just the timing of this obviously is extremely unfortunate for the program. Um, and one other thing, whoever does replace Pat, whether it be Jim Ferry on a full-time role or somebody else, it will be vital for them to recruit Philadelphia, Pat Chambers, all things considered recruited Philadelphia pretty well, especially when you consider how difficult it is to recruit Philadelphia in basketball because Penn state doesn't have that natural base around them in basketball talents. So you have to go recruit Philadelphia if you're going to be successful at Penn state. And that's one thing Pat did well. He built relationships, you know, Tony Carr, Lamar Stevens, Mike Watkins, he brought these guys in. They won a lot of basketball games here. So that whoever does take over in the full-time role, that is what will be very important. And, you know, that's kind of what you were touching on is, you know, if whoever comes in, can't keep that going, can't keep this roster together. Well, you know, it's another 10 year rebuild. So hopefully whoever it is, is able to keep this thing intact and pick up where chambers left off at with recruiting in Philadelphia. If they do that, you know, Penn state's never going to be the top of the big 10 of basketball. You know, it's just, it's never going to happen, but they can be what they've been the last few years under Pat chambers, you know, knocking on the door of the tournament, getting in now and again, being having good seasons. We go to the NIT and win the NIT, you know, that, that's the ceiling for Penn State basketball. And, you know, hey, just if whoever comes in can continue the Philadelphia ties, I think they will be okay. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna BS here. I'm not a I'm, – I'm a, I'm a Penn State basketball fan. Uh, I'm not as knowledgeable as Ellie uh, over here. But uh, 
Yeah, it's unfortunate time, like Marty said. Uh, and as they both said, I mean, beyond the football program, well, including the football program the last few weeks in terms of, I guess, two months, Parsons upset and Penn State has been uh, losing recruiting battles all over the place. Football, the journey now this, um, it it really feels like every day you wake up. See, they find somebody who can help the perks level, uh, but yeah, I'm not gonna BS anything beyond that. Uh, I. I'm immediately much more of a bigger Villanova basketball fan than I am. We're going to cut him off now. We're going to cut him off. He said the dirty words. We we do not stand Villanova here. Enjoy. Uh, Jay Wright and Villanova as much as I can. Mute Dylan. Mute Dylan. (laughs) So Villanova is is that bad a word, huh? Yep. (laughs) Especially there's, there's there's a lot of uh, Penn State Villanova fans in our in our ranks, Penn State football Villanova basketball fans, and you know, hey man, you can root for whoever you want. Go root for Duke, root for North Carolina. Just don't root for. Oh, I guess either his internet got offended or he got offended. Yeah, uh, I was gonna, gonna go say D- Dylan just texted me. His internet completely crapped out on him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's this, there's this thing where you bring up Villanova and it's all over. Yeah. It's like, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, the, the, the basketball gods saw the transgression and just cut his internet. It's like, no, we don't, we don't talk about Villanova in this house, but, um, he, Dylan was talking about something that I think is funny because I think in our Slack channel, we were talking about, um, kind of like, excuse me. Um, the past few weeks for Penn State <clears throat> have been like what now kind of thing so we Penn State does this um, like little videos recapping the program each week they're called the, Fen- the Penn State football story and um, one of the titles that we came up with was I think actually Marty was who did this like Jesus fucking Christ, what now? The <laughs> football story. So uh, that's kind of what it's felt like the past couple of weeks. Actually, that was Dylan. I can't take credit for that one. That was Dylan that came up with the wonderful title for, you know, this week's episode of the Penn State football story. <laughs> is there is there anything that I haven't brought up, anything you guys want to say further about Penn State, football, basketball, anything? Can't wait for volleyball to be back. Yeah. I, you know, Nebraska fans miss that a lot. I, every year our volleyball team sells out in like 45 minutes to an hour. You know, yeah. It's amazing to watch, uh, to go to Devaney Center where they play and, and watch a game of volleyball. And I know that's true for Penn State fans. And um, so, yeah, that sport is missed a lot too. Anything else or should we end there? Um, I'm I'm very ready for three yeah. thirty Saturday uh, for my season, yeah my my three hours of stress and agony and cussing at the TV to begin. So, 
I'm going to be off with my children. Yeah, I'm this have football stress-free Saturday. <laughs> if this doesn't go well, season for Penn State football. Uh, Penn State's going to be very much a uh, volleyball, uh, hockey, and wrestling school for the foreseeable future. Um, but I, I'm just excited to have Big Ten football back. It's been fun to have all the other conferences playing, but uh, there's nothing quite like Big Ten football, especially uh, in the middle of October. I saw that uh, for the Rutgers-Michigan State game tomorrow, it's like 40-something degrees and chance of snow or something like that maybe. So, um it's Big Ten football at its finest, and I'm just excited for it to be back. Yeah, honestly, I'm even excited just to watch Wisconsin and Illinois tonight, just to just to give me some Big Ten football. Go Illini! Plus, as a degenerate <laughs> like me, uh, it's just more games to bet on. All right, we're going to end there. This has been John's Post Life Crisis. I thank you, the Penn State guys, for joining me, and uh, you know, good luck with your season, but. You know, good luck in the Big Ten East, I guess. I, I, I'm not going to wish you good luck against us and are not 90,000 fans screaming when you come to Lincoln. But, uh, you know, good luck with the rest of your season. So you guys take care, and I thank you a lot. It's been interesting and fun. And uh, there you go. Go Big Red. Hey, I'll, I'll take 8-1 and one if that one is Nebraska because that's getting us to Indy and probably getting us to the playoffs. So. <laughs> Retweet. Thanks for having me. Yeah.